Why does my therapist stare at me? Eye contact hits us deeply and can make you feel deeply taken in or devastatingly overwhelmed. Actually, the question, why does my therapist stare at me, is one of the most commonly asked questions on Reddit about therapy. And today we'll do our best to answer it because if open counseling is about anything, it's about answering people's questions. You're with Mark Pines and Stephanie Hairston of Opening, Open Counseling, and you're listening to the Insider's Guide to Therapy podcast. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Mark. I'm, so it sounds like we've decided on a title. It's work in progress. I thought there were too many words to say that it was work in progress, so I, I just tentatively said that's the title. I think it's as good as anything. Yeah. In, okay. Insider's Guide to Therapy. Inside, Inside Therapy. Inside Therapy. <sighs> well, there we go. I mean, that that's a good segue. I mean, they, they say the, the eyes are the window to the soul. And if you stare at a person's eyes, it's implying that you're staring inside a person. And that can be a very um, complicated experience for people. And so I think that's probably at the, the heart of this whole question. And I love this question because, well, there's so much more than meets the eye. Love it. <laughs> love it. I mean, I hope it doesn't get painful, but, but, but there's a reason that eyes are all over our language. You know, yeah. eyes are, are just so important. Um, we take the world in with them. We take others in with them. Um, and... I think the reason that people ask this question so much is because it, it's a very unusual experience, someone taking you that deeply in a, as we do in therapy. Um, just as an aside, so I'm a therapist. I'm used to a lot of eye contact. I give my clients a lot of eye contact. My clients give that to me in return. Um, but recently I was in Spain and I was shocked that people were staring me in the eye and it, I was, I, I looked away at first. It was too overwhelming. Um, and I real, and it made me realize, oh, that's something I've just gotten used to in the therapy encounter, but out there on the, the real world, at least in America, we don't look at each other in the eye as much. It it's, takes me as something very unusual. Yeah, and there's a lot of cultural variability to it. Um, it's always fun for me when I research our articles because even if it's a topic I already know something about, I always learn something new. And two of the big things I learned when I researched, you know, why does my therapist stare at me? A, how many people ask this question? You know, when we when we did this initial research of trying to see what are some of the most common questions people have about therapy that they type into Google. This one came up and I thought it was almost a little bit silly sounding like, is this really a problem? But then I went on to Reddit and um, some other online forums and just the number of people that talked about how unnerving it was to start therapy and just to feel like their therapist was just staring at them. And they were talking about a combination of both the intense sustained eye contact and also the therapist silence. And we've got a whole other article about a therapist silence and we'll go into more depth when we uh, do the podcast for that article I'm sure but it was just interesting to me and then when I started doing the research for this article 
uh, about kind of trying to answer the question, um, I found a lot of interesting research, uh, neuroscience research about what happens in our brains when someone makes eye contact with us. And it's, you know, it, it pretty much hijacks our attention. And part of the reason we feel so overwhelmed by it, and, you know, most of us have the habit of when we're talking to someone, we maintain a certain amount of eye contact while we're listening. But when we're talking, I, I know, especially for me, I have to look away. Because I'm trying to like track all these thoughts in my brain and the amount of CPU in your head it takes to process someone else's eye contact is so much that you kind of have to mitigate it when you're in your own thoughts. And, you know, a lot of people that were on Reddit talking about their experiences in therapy were talking about this, about how they, you know, there were some of them that would talk about how they became intimately familiar with the books on the bookshelf that their therapist sat in front of because they would divert their attention from their therapist to the books and read the titles as a way to distract themselves from the therapist's gaze. Um, but, you know, there, there's just so much that happens in our brain and it's so overwhelming. And, you know, one of the interesting things that happens is, you know, I guess in the last 20 years or so, they've been doing all this research on mirror neurons, you know, that, um, when we watch something or make a connection, it's like some of the same neurons light up in our brains as if we were doing the same thing that we were watching someone else do. And um, so w eye contact activates your mirror neurons. It makes you feel connected to that person. You start to kind of mirror their behavior a little bit. And this is something a lot of people are talking about too, noticing how their therapist mirrors their posture sometimes. And this is th something therapists actually learn to do to put people at ease. But most of the time, I think when therapists are mirroring your posture a lot of times they don't even realize they're doing it it's just if you maintain that eye contact you naturally just start connecting with the other person and that's one of the ways that we express that we're connected as we kind of sit in the similar posture and lean as far forward as the other person um, another interesting thing that eye contact can do is cause your brain to release oxytocin which is also known as the cuddle chemical it makes you feel close to someone and so it's also something that we try to monitor because you know, um, people that we're already comfortable with that we want to feel close to, eye contact's intense, but we, we want that intensity. When it's someone we don't 100% trust yet, it's hard. And so I think a lot of people have stories about they became more able to meet their therapist gaze as their relationship deepened and they worked with the therapist longer. I think that's a great point. I, I remember I was once uh, at, at a therapy conference and they, they just did an experiment, sort of take the person next to you and just stare at them in the eye for a minute and just a random stranger sort of like maybe one foot away and it was so insanely intimate and it made me realize I don't even know this person and I'm experiencing an incredible amount of intimacy it almost felt like you know having sex with a stranger in the sense that it, it's such an intimate thing and then you realize wait a minute I don't know this person this is not intimacy I'm used to to sharing with a random other person and so it does speak to what a powerful experience eye contact is and, and how overwhelming it can be. Um, I also wanted to bring up that just while you're talking, it reminded me that if you're familiar with um, analytic theory, therapy, um, you know, you, the, the traditional way to do it was people sit lying on a couch with a therapist behind them and the people staring at the ceiling and... Sigmund Freud originally came up with this because he said it was too overwhelming for him, the constant inspection of people 
visually like staring at him all the time and it was kind of distracting from his ability to kind of be with them in, in other ways and so in a way even freud kind of broke down the the intensity of the eye contact because it it in a way that even distracted from the therapy which was really interesting for me to think about yeah i didn't realize that that was part of the reason for the traditional analytic yeah. thing about lying on the couch Particularly, it was um, him saying people were constantly checking um, basically things like, are you judging me or um, how are you responding to that? And, and people, you know, there's a lot at stake in the therapy room. People are talking about um, very vulnerable, personal things, and they are intensely, intensely interested in how the, the therapist is responding to them. But sometimes it, it's such an intense interest that the intensity of that can overwhelm, you know, just a, a more regular kind of exploration. Totally. And, and you know, something that um, I touched on in this article that I've touched on in, in other recent articles is one of the things you have to get used to in therapy that therapists take for granted because they've been doing therapy for a while, so it becomes normal to them. But, you know, if you're new to therapy or even if you've done therapy before, but you go back to therapy after not doing it for a while, so many of the things that uh, we do in therapy are unusual compared to the way we normally interact with other people. And social norms are so powerful. I mean, some of the things we come to therapy to deal with are the shame, guilt and anxiety around do I fit in? Do other people judge me? Do other people like me? You know, we we're hardwired to fear being excluded or rejected socially. So this, this is, puts our brain on high alert. And when you go into a therapy room, the way you interact with a therapist kind of um, breaks a lot of the social taboos and a lot of the social, the ways that we normally carry on an interaction with someone, therapy is different from that. So you as a new therapy client are sitting there almost panicking because you're like this person staring at me. I just said something and my therapist said nothing in response. You know, when that happens in real life, if, if you say something and the other person doesn't say anything back, usually that means you've said something wrong or they don't know how to respond to you. Therapists are, are silent for a lot of other reasons, uh, you know, and it's usually not because you said anything that shocked them or, you know, they're, they're wanting to let you go on and get deeper into your own process. And the eye contact thing is very unusual, like the way eye contact and interaction goes on in the therapy room so it's been kind of nice to kind of be reminded like hey when when you're new to therapy or you haven't done it in a while all this stuff's going to throw you off as it should because we are hardwired to interpret social signals in a certain way so it's you have to learn therapy's a different environment I'm allowed I mean I think a big part of having a good experience in therapy is giving yourself permission to lean into it as much mm. as possible. It's the things that you feel like you can't do or can't say in your day-to-day -day life. That's, that's one of the things that therapy is so great for you. You can just sit there in silence with your therapist for a moment. Uh, you don't have to be the one constantly trying to keep the conversation going. Um, you can make eye contact with your therapist. You, you can, experiment and opening up and and presenting yourself differently there's just so many opportunities in therapy to practice outside of all the pressure of the social of the social norms we live under all the time and i love that you're saying that because um 
a lot of social norms are, are kind of rules that we live by to reduce the amount of contact. You know, we, right. we find ways to say, how are you doing today? And more or less moving on to the next thing before, before that's answered or just these rote little ways that we converse. Well, in therapy, if a therapist asks you, how are you doing today? They're typically genuinely interested and would rather hear how you're genuinely doing than oh I'm doing fine thank you how are you you know and right and so yeah this is part of the discomfort of therapy because you're having a genuine encounter with another human being and um, I don't think without a genuine encounter therapy could could be any good you know if we're just rotely sort of reading our scripts our societal norms I don't think that that we can be changed by those sort of encounters. Right. No, and that's that's beautifully said. And, and I think one of the biggest things therapy gives us the opportunity to do that's different than than the norm. Everything you just said and, and going even more into that, just this degree of intimacy you can experience with your therapist. It's sort of like I don't know that there's anything else quite like the safe intimacy you can have with the therapist. You know, that the th- that there's all these rules and boundaries around therapy for a reason because it gives you, the therapy client, a chance to open up and talk about things you've never told anyone else about. And it's a very different situation than trying to share the same things with someone you're close to. Mm. And, yeah, I think that experimenting with opening up, you know, and taking your time, not trying to force it. It's natural that you don't want to necessarily come out with everything your first session or two. But over time, just realizing this is a space where I can go into things that are either emotionally overwhelming or that I'm just not sure about yet. Um, and, and experiment with talking my way through things I haven't figured out for myself. Because it's true, like you said, a lot of our social rituals are just meant to keep things on the surface. You know, and and you can go through your life just spending a lot of time on the surface and, you know, you can do a lot of fun things in life on the surface. But I think if you never go beneath the surface, whether through therapy or another means, you miss, miss out on an entire dimension of life. So, of course, if you've been staying on the surface or you've been avoiding a certain area in your psyche, you know, a certain trauma or a certain pain or a certain anxiety it's going to feel very uncomfortable in therapy when you first start to drop into that a little bit. And part yeah. of the therapeutic process is just getting that comfortability around experimenting with leaning into the anxiety, remembering the trauma, whatever it is you're working on. And it, it becomes such a gift. It's difficult at first, but over time, it really starts to help you heal because again, if, if most of the things you're doing in your day-to-day life just allow you to stay on the surface of that, you can avoid the pain, but it's still under the surface affecting you all the time. Oh. And I love how you said that. I mean, that is one of the great gifts of therapy, which is to, to help get people, help give people a space where they can become comfortable with the uncomfortable or to bear the unbearable, you know, and, and, the more that people can do this, the the more fully they can have themselves, the more fully they can be themselves, like both um, just by themselves, but also with others. And, and that's one of the most important parts uh, of the healing. Um, and so it, it's so great just to remind people whenever we can that 
the the discomfort of therapy is, is a big part necessary um you know it's kind of like going to the gym if you don't feel any strain you're not going to gain much at all um but just like the gym you know if you uh try lift a weight that's too heavy for you it's not helping and could injure you but it's about finding the the right level of strain it's challenging but not overwhelming and um, that's how you you grow strength both physically and also mentally yeah and just like the process of trying to get back in shape physically it can be very frustrating in the beginning where you're having to put in the maximum amount of effort and you're not really seeing the results yet and unfortunately this is you know, there's some people that briefly try therapy and then immediately peace out and just don't want to do it anymore. And, you know, sometimes it's just not the right time in your life for therapy. And that can be true. But, you know, um, the gifts of therapy take some time, you know, and and so you do It's sort of like when you're trying to get back in shape, you know that you're going to be sweating and you're going to be more sore than usual. But you're still going to look in the mirror and feel bloated and, you know, whatever. But, uh, you know, it's sort of like that. So in therapy, you're really having to take these first steps into these difficult parts of your psyche you've been avoiding. And it's very painful at first. But over time, that gift, you know, for me, the therapy I've done in my life, the one of the biggest gifts is being less apologetic about who I am, you know. And, and because when in the space of therapy as you explore these aspects of yourself with another person that you can trust, you know, because it takes a while to build up trust. Not all therapists are worthy of your trust. I think most of them probably are, but it still takes a while, you know, to build that relationship. But as you build that relationship and connect, and then you start to realize like, oh, it's okay to be this way. It's okay to be who I really am in front of another person. And just how many things that can change in your life. It's, it's just amazing to me to look at, how subtle the effects of therapy can be at first, but then all the things that follow from that. You start being more willing to say, hey, I don't care if people judge me. I'm going to do this thing that means a lot to me. And you start doing that thing, and it brings success in your life, and it brings friendships in your life, and you start feeling more alive again. And all these amazing things can happen just because you're starting to open up. And, you know, again, just circling back to this topic, you know, it's just this. some of these very basic human things are kind of the first doors we walk through in therapy like oh this person is making eye contact with me and it's making me uncomfortable and just experiencing that exploring that and you know that can open up a whole other dimension where it's not just the actual physiological response to the eye contact but then so much of therapy is like the story that starts going on in your head my therapist is staring at me because I'm being weird my therapist is staring at me because I've completely shocked them and they don't know what to say. And you have all these worries about why your therapist is just looking at you and that are probably not true. And so then as you start to explore those in therapy, you know, you can start to kind of break down some of these myths or fears or beliefs you've had for a long time, you know, and, and the by the end of this article, it's like what we say in a lot. If, if your therapist is doing something that unnerves you, even if it's ultimately something that isn't negative, it's always worth talking to them about it, you know, and it can feel very awkward. But again, that's that strain early on in therapy is finding the courage to look at your therapist and say, you stare at me and it makes me feel really uncomfortable. What's up with that? And that's going to be hard, you know, but one of the wonderful freedoms of therapy is like most people will do everything possible to avoid confrontation. 
And so most of us have learned we can't ask questions that are too direct of someone because we're going to offend them and it's going to create the social fallout. Wonderful thing about therapy is that's not true in therapy. You can ask your therapist the most awkward question ever. You can say the most controversial things. You can say, I hate you right now. And your therapist will love it. It's like, let's go into that. Why do you hate me? Right. You know, you're th- you know, it's like, whereas most people, if you say that to, they're going to get mad. Like, you hate me? How dare you? I've done all these things for you. But your therapist is going to be like, oh, yes, we're finally getting to something. <laughs> it's completely absurd, isn't it? The whole therapeutic encounter, it's so different from what we're used to on a day-to-day basis. Um, you know, and even the people we're most comfortable, like, um, be it our, our spouses or or um, kids or parents or something, there's a way that we interact in therapy that's quite different. And and the lovely thing about therapy is um, because it's kind of set up to allow these things. In a way, they're lower stakes. Therapy is a lot lower stakes than, say, your relationship with your spouse because if your therapist hates you, it doesn't mean you get divorced. There's no uh, house to break up and kids to divide. It's... It can be just a momentary thing. And so we start to play with, can I have the full range of my feelings with another? And can we do that in safety? And will having the full range of my feelings um, destroy everything? And and that's how we learn to to be safe with our own emotions. Um, I think it's probably really important to talk about that. a lot of what we're talking about is the process that happens between you and your therapist and and people who are unfamiliar with how therapy works which is pretty much everyone who's just starting therapy um, are often surprised at how important the relationship between them and their therapist is most people walk in um, say looking for help with their relationship with their spouse or maybe they walk in because they're suffering from significant depression or anxiety or, or similar issues. Um, and, and yet, you know, and maybe they're, they're seeking advice about that or something to help. But, but a lot of the healing comes through um, the relationship with the therapist. And, and that includes things like eye contact, how the therapist takes you in, how they listen to you. Um, and how that would change your relationship with yourself, but also your relationship with others. Absolutely, you know, and and they've done so much research showing that, you know, certain kinds of therapy are effective for this and that, but the the bottom line is that, that the relationship with the therapist is the primary cause of change and healing, no matter what kind of therapy you're getting, that if you don't have that basic trust and that basic ability to open up, um, therapy's not going to take you very far. Um, and it is something you have to work toward. And I think it's just, it's just so interesting how therapy is at once more intimate than most other relationships and yet somehow less. It's just this very unique relationship where you can open up to your therapist and share not just stories and information and things you've been afraid to talk about, but share about your share yourself in in ways emotionally or even physically. Like just the way you can experiment with being a different person in the room with your therapist. Like maybe speaking more loudly or speaking more forcefully or 
not apologize, you know, uh, I think in therapy, you know, I started practicing not apologizing, you know, it was it was a habit of mine to start going off on some rant and feel really passionate and then say, Oh, I'm sorry. And then in therapy, you get that chance to go on that passionate rant without stopping and saying, I'm sorry. And then you get to see what does it feel like to just be 100% forcefully emoting and to have another person not push back or make you feel like you have to apologize or, or stop talking. And, you know, those experimentations with how you are with another person kind of help you find your way into what a more authentic version of yourself might be. Oh, that's great. And, and what a, a great um, example of that. Um, you know, we're getting close to the end, but I wanted to, to, to bring up um, one of the things I learned in, in therapist school. I forget what it's called, masters of therapy or whatever, was um, they would stress that kind of everything that you need to know about your client is right there in the therapy room. And I I was a little affronted by that because I was like, well, don't we need to learn their history and what they're going through in their life and their background and all of these things? But they really stress that people kind of show you who they are and you can take them in on multiple levels. You can take in the words they're saying, but you can also take in um, how they are saying those words. You could take in how they look visually. You can take in the feelings that you have when you're with them. You can take into account the sort of thoughts that go through your mind when you're with them. And they're all different ways to to learn about the person. But what's um, what's key is that all these ways you learn about them, most of the the real solid ones are, are ones that you're you're taking in the present moment and the experience of being with another person, and, and how powerful that is. Um, and and. A lot of people are just kind of not used to being taken in quite so fully, you know, quite so fully as a therapist who, who's had a lot of training into taking in a person's full being and what it means and, and um, intensely interested in that. Yeah, that's beautifully stated. And, and I think it's, you know, a lot of most of us, we, we run up against a certain level of social feedback where a certain amount of our full range of expression is allowed but then there's a point where that range has to stop and it can be amazing you know to have that therapist that as you say takes you takes in more of you and doesn't throw up that judgment or that whoa Hmm. stop and then in that you know one of the most important thing you know therapy is uh, so much about the relationship with the therapist and it's a meaningful real it's a different kind of relationship but it's a real meaningful relationship. That said, a lot of the change in therapy comes from witnessing yourself. And mm. a lot of what your therapist does, including maintain eye contact with you, is to help you witness yourself. Because when you allow more of yourself to come out in the therapy room than you might in another social interaction, and your therapist sits there and takes you in and just maintains eye contact, you can start to develop this awareness of yourself and what it feels like to bring more of yourself into the room. And that can be a real powerful agent of change and healing. Oh, I love it. And, and what a wonderful note to end our show on. Um, 
So if you want the full details, Stephanie has written an incredible article on this and it's on opencounseling.com as always titled, why does my therapist stare at me? Um, simple question, but it goes deep into the heart of the therapy relationship and why it's important and how we can heal through, um, through being seen as well as how being seen can, can be overwhelming and distressing at the same time. So, um, if you've enjoyed this, I hope you take a time to, to look at the article anyway. Thank you so much for joining us and look forward to seeing you next week.